Okay, speaking of Galatians 5, you guys ready to get in the Word this morning? I want to invite you to stand as we go into the Word. Starting a new sermon series beginning today called The Fruit of the Spirit. The Fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want to read another scripture before I go to Galatians 5. Jesus says in John chapter 15, he says, By this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How many of you understand that just because you prayed a prayer, that does not necessarily mean that you're following Jesus? How many of you understand that just because you showed up to church this morning, that doesn't even necessarily mean that you are following Jesus. Now, if you're serving a kids to ministry, you're following Jesus. That's just my, that's, that's the thing. Jesus said, the way that you show that you are my disciple and the way that you give glory to, the, to God in heaven is that you produce fruit. And if your life isn't producing fruit, you might be wearing the jersey, right? But that don't mean you own the team. You might have the the t-shirt, but that doesn't mean that you're part of the church. You you may have even prayed the prayer, but that doesn't mean that you are a member of the kingdom. So, listen, I'm so proud of this church because we're growing numerically. We're growing in a lot of different ways. But the way that I am most proud of this church is the depth of spiritual growth that we are seeing in individuals and families. And so... I, I feel very compelled by the Holy Spirit that we need to capitalize on that. We need to continue to push that, and we need to continue to grow in that. And so today is the beginning of that. Galatians 5 says, Paul says, starting in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Have you ever noticed in your life that you know what you should do and you want to do the thing you should do, but there's something inside of you that makes you do the opposite of the thing that you know you should do and that you even want to do? You ever been there before? Paul even talks about this in his letter to the church at Rome. He says, there's, I want to do the thing that God wants me to do, but there's this thing in me that doesn't let me do the thing I want to do. Uh, That's Romans chapter 7. So he's kind of referencing that here in Galatians. He says in verse 18, he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, uh, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a far cry from our, hey, you just bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat this prayer after me, now you're a Christian and you're going to heaven, so don't worry about anything else. It's a little different when we start actually looking at what the Bible says about following Jesus versus what our American Christianized culture has said it looks like to follow Jesus. He says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Come on, can we repeat those together? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, against such things there is no law. And verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I'm going to read verse 25. It's not up there because I didn't put it up there. It says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that as I preach that you would help me to step aside so that you can speak with clarity and with power and with authority. And God, I pray that when we leave this place today, that we will look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Come on, one more time. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Galatians is, is one of the most theologically dense books in the Bible. It's six chapters long. But if you were to ask me what is the most important book of the Bible, I would probably say Romans. But if you wanted a, maybe, maybe you're a bullet point person. Maybe you need, you want to read the cliff notes. Then I would tell you, go read Galatians. Because it basically has most of what Romans contains, but only in six chapters. So therefore, you get the bullet points. And, and, and what's also interesting about Galatians is that it is one of Paul's earlier writings. It's not the first letter he wrote, but it's among the first letters he wrote. So he's still relatively young. He's still relatively new to the Christian faith. Remember, Paul became a Christian as an adult when he encountered Jesus as he was riding to Damascus to go and persecute Christians. And many years later, he would go and plant churches throughout the regions of Galatia. And so now he many years after that, is writing a letter to them. And so the book of Galatians wasn't a letter written to a single church. It was written to many churches uh, encompassing an area uh, in in what we would see today as uh, Turkey. And so Paul writes for really one primary reason. He writes this letter because they're doing some things that he needs to address. And the thing that he needed to address was that there were Jewish Christians there who were telling the Greek Christians there that in order to be real Christians, you have to first become Jews, then you can become Christians. Does that make sense? Jewish Christians, hey, great, I'm glad you said that. So Jewish Christians, they, they are Christians who, they followed the Torah, they already believed in God, and now they have received Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And then you have Greek Christians who have no background of Judaism, who have heard the gospel of Jesus, who, who now have become believers in Jesus and are following Jesus. And there was a conflict that happened where the Jewish Christians were looking at the Greek Christians and they were basically saying, you're not real Christians because you do not adhere to the dietary restrictions of Judaism. You, you haven't been circumcised uh, like you're supposed to be as a Jew. And so, as you can imagine, especially the adult males who weren't circumcised as babies were having some issues with these Jewish Christians, right? And, and I mean, who wants to be told, no more bacon for you if you want to go to heaven? I don't want to hear that. Praise God for the new covenant, amen? Praise God for baby back ribs and all the other great things. Figured I'd get another amen from you on that one. Yeah. And so what I love about Galatians is it it has this rawness from Paul, partly because he's young 
and partly because he is ticked off, right? He, he, I love it. In chapter 2, he talks about, in the King James, it says to Peter, because Peter was, was kind of like trying to, to ride the fence between these two different groups of Jewish Christians and, and Greek Christians. And, and it says that, I, he says in King James, I withstood him to his face. Which is, which is modern-day vernacular for I got up in his grill, right? Like, like, I got up in his face. And then in chapter 3, it opens with, you foolish Galatians. Now, if you look at the amplified version of the Bible, and it kind of breaks down the, the underlying tones of what's being said, the amplified says this, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Translation, you bunch of stupid idiots. That's what Paul is saying. That's, that's what Paul is writing. And so, so he's writing them, telling them, like, this is heresy. This isn't how it, you don't have to first become a Jew. Then you can become a Christian. Listen, all you need to do is, is believe on Jesus. And so he says this in chapter 2, verse 16. He says, so we know that a person is justified uh, not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He says this, my, probably my favorite scripture in all of the Bible is Galatians 2.20. So much so that I got it tattooed on my arm. And so I know, you know, Leviticus 19.28, but here we are, New Covenant. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness could be attained by the law, then Jesus died for nothing. In other words, what he's telling these Jewish Christians is, he's saying, listen, if you're living right and eating kosher and circumcision and all the other things could make you saved, then there was no point for Jesus to come and die and be resurrected on the third day. And, and, and now, now we, we easily can fall into this trap of not by works, but by grace alone, which is true and good and great. But what we often like to do as human beings is take that a step further and give ourselves a license to live however we want to live. Or a license to sin. And in the book of Romans and Galatians, Ephesians, and many different writings, Paul makes it very clear, hey, this isn't what it means to be saved by grace. No, no, no. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by doing good things or doing the right things or even doing godly things. However, when you are saved and Jesus has changed your life, those good works and you doing the right things and you doing good things and you doing godly things... Those things are evidence of your salvation, not the source of your salvation, but evidence of your salvation. So in other words, you can say you are a Christian, but if your life doesn't bear fruit, your confession is in vain. You guys with me? You, you, can, you can have said, I prayed the prayer, I'm a member of the church, I tithe, I do whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm serving in nursery even, and I know I just said if you're... But, I feel like you've got to have been made new to serve a nursery. But that's another thing. But if, if your life isn't bearing fruit, if your life doesn't look more like Jesus and less like you every single day as you continue to mature in the faith, then what Paul is saying and, and what the Bible says, what Jesus says, you, you're not my disciple. Jesus said, my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciple. It's like I got this old Miss jersey on, right? And, 
This is a baseball jersey. And I, um, Ole Miss won the national championship in baseball this last year. I didn't even know it was happening. Chad Linthicum had to text me and tell me it was going on. That's how into it I was, right? But I'm wearing a baseball jersey. I got a baseball hat, right? And if, if, but how many of you know that if I walked out onto the baseball field with Ole Miss players playing against whoever, you would quickly discover I did not belong there. When I stepped up to the plate and they threw a 98-mile-an-hour fastball and I hit the deck because I was scared it was going to hit me, they would know, you would know, everybody would know. He might be wearing the shirt, but he, he's not a player. He's not trained. He hasn't gone through what he needs to go through. He didn't go through spring training. I don't, did they do spring training in baseball? I don't know. That's, I don't know anything about it. I wouldn't know what I was doing. And so there's a lot of people today, a lot of us today, we got the shirt, man. We got the hat. We got the bracelet. We got, we got the tattoos. But do we have the life that backs it up? And that's the purpose of this series, and that's what we're going to get into. And so as, as we're looking at that, I want you to also understand that this early church was growing at such an incredible rate of speed. And, and the thing that we need to understand is it wasn't growing because they had great preaching. It wasn't growing because they had great music. It wasn't growing because they had great technology or great buildings. In fact, they were persecuted. They, they, they were barely able to gather in public without being in fear of their lives or imprisonment. But what was happening is, is, is they would hear the gospel. They would hear how God became a man and his name was Jesus. They would hear how he lived, how he gave, how he loved, and how he died and he rose again. And then they saw these men and these women, these Christians, these little Christ, and they saw how these Christians lived and how they gave and how they lived and how they loved and how they laid down their lives for one another and how they actually lived out what they claimed they believe and, and how it wasn't just a part of their lives, but this faith in Jesus defined their lives and how in a culture marked by sexual perversion and selfishness and rage and senseless idolatry that these people were different, how they they stood apart, yet they loved even the people who were trying to kill them. And how their community was marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I got to read it. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they said, hey, what you got? Is there any way I can get a piece of that? A few weeks ago, I talked about Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They were in the city of Philippi, and they had cast the devil out of a girl, and they got thrown in prison, and the prison guard was, was very sternly instructed, like, whatever you do, don't let these people get out. And so around midnight, you know, they're singing, and they're praying, and they're worshiping God, and uh, God sends an earthquake. The doors of the prison open. Paul and Silas escape. And, you know, if I'm Paul, if I'm Silas, I'm thinking, all right, the prison doors are open. Let's go. Let's get out of here before somebody sees us, right? Well, Paul looks over and he sees the prison guard about to take a sword through the midsection because he knows that if he doesn't take his own life, he's going to be executed and it's going to be a whole lot worse. And Paul says, hey, brother, hey, hey, man, hey, we're right here. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're here. No, 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 we're good. We're good. You want me to go back in there? Okay, I guess I'll go back in there because Paul loved him more than he loved himself. And that man and his whole family, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16, becomes a follower of Jesus. They're all baptized and they become part of the church because a man named Paul cared more about him than he did himself. Come on, give the Lord praise. 
And so when we walk in the Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. And as we produce the fruit of the Spirit, our Father is glorified. You know how God gets glory? I'll talk about it more in a minute. God gets glory when people follow Jesus. And the reason why people follow Jesus is because they see that we really are disciples of Jesus and they want what we have. So how can we walk in the Spirit? we got to make some decisions. we got to make some decisions. I'm going to give you four ideas. I Honestly, I could have written ten and preached all of them, but I had to stop at some point. Maybe next week I'll give you some more. But the first decision that we've got to make or the first thing that we've got to think through is, number one, if I want real life, I must give up my life. If I want real life, I must give up my life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, he tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be a Christian, if anyone wants to follow me, first, let him deny himself. Second, take up his cross. And third, follow me. And he says in verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, the only way to receive the life that Jesus has for you, John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. The only way you can have that life is you say, okay, Jesus, I want your life, so I've got to get rid of my life. So here's my life. You take my life and let me have the life that you have. The world will tell you, hold on to it, hoard it. The world will tell you to treat yourself. The world will tell you self before others. But the way of Jesus tells us to let it go, to give it away, and to deny ourselves, our preferences, and our opinions. A.W. Tozer writes this. Y'all just hold on, okay? He says, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne, and the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. We want to be saved, but we insist Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of our soul, and we wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of Caesar, but we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. You guys good? If I want the life that Jesus has for me, I have to give up my life in exchange for it. Which leads me to, to number two. If I want more of Jesus, how many of you would say I want more of Jesus? But there has to be less of me. If I want more of Jesus, there must be less of me. John the Baptist writes in John or he says, and then John the disciple records it in John 3.30. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's funny because I've got that tattooed right here as well. He must increase, but I must decrease. So why did John say this? It's because that John was also a man who had disciples following him. And then after Jesus is baptized, some of the people that were following John, they leave John to go follow Jesus. And so John's remaining disciples come to him and they say, hey man, Jesus has taken all of our people. Jesus, Jesus is making our church shrink, right? Jesus is, is robbing us of what we're doing. And John, knowing his role and knowing essentially that the only point of his life was to point to Jesus, which, come on, we can say the same thing about ourselves, right? The point of me is the point of him. The point of you is the point 
point to him, right? John, knowing his position, knowing that he isn't the Messiah, but he is the Messiah, he says, he must increase, which sounds great, and it is great. But what we often fail to realize that in order for him to increase, I must willingly decrease. And the thing about Jesus is Jesus does not elbow his way into your life. Jesus isn't going to push and shove and kick his way into your life. He will only go, number one, where he's invited, and number two, where you've made room for him. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And he he says, I live this life in the flesh, but I live it by faith. I don't live by feelings. I don't live by facts. I don't live by my flesh. I live by faith in Jesus. And so, you know, we're often tempted I know I've been tipped. I've, I've done this. You've probably done this where we say things in situations of confrontation or situations of difficulty where we, 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 we say things like, that's just my personality. Or we say things like, I'm just telling it, I'm just telling it like it is. Or, or maybe we say, like, I'm just calling it like I see it. Or, or my favorite slash least favorite that I hear today is, well, you know, my Enneagram number is this, so that's why I'm this. And you know, when, when we use those kinds of excuses to justify bad behavior, to justify unloving behavior, to justify unkind behavior, to, to justify us getting our way over the right way, what we are essentially saying is, Jesus, why don't you get back on that cross so I can sit on the throne? What we are essentially saying, instead of saying what John said, he must increase and I must decrease, we're looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, it's time for you to decrease because I need to increase. You guys good? Number three, if I want to make a difference, I have to live differently. If I want to make a difference, I have to live differently. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people. And it seems like everyone that I talk to, if I were to ask them, hey, man, like, do you want your life to matter? Almost everyone is going to say, yeah, I want to matter. I want to make a difference. Well, if you want to matter, if you want to make a difference, you have to live differently. Jesus says this, going back to Matthew in chapter 5, he says, he's talking to his disciples and he's talking to us today. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He tells them in verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill, and it cannot be hidden. Verse 15, he says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. How many of you know that for too many of us, the church has become the basket where we come to church and we worship and we pray and we love and we give, but we walk out of the church into what we call the real world and we act different and we live different. And so our light is here, but when we go out there, are we taking the light out there? He says, so many people, or don't, he says, don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand so it gives light to the whole house. In verse 16, he said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. This is echoing what the very first scripture I read in John 15. So that they may see your good works, so that they may see your fruit and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, we, we can't change the world if we are like the world.
we're called to stand out. The word church, this is not in my notes, but it's second service and I don't have a time restriction. (laughs) The word church in Greek, when you read that in your New Testament, the word is ekklesia, which means those called out. It's, It's the ones that God calls out from among. So he calls us out from among. He puts his name on us and then he sends us back into That's what it means to be the church, the ones that are called out. See, the point of church, if it's just getting together on a Sunday and and hearing the word and worshiping the Lord, that is only half of the equation. This is great, and this is good, and this is necessary. It is good for us to assemble. It's good for us to get together. It's good for us to to, to fellowship. But if this is where it ends, and this you know, we, we just live a, a Sunday-only faith, then that is only half of the equation of what God wants to do in and through us as a church. We're called to stand out, not just in our beliefs and our behaviors, but also in our actions towards other people who don't believe the way we believe. And, and if being a salty Christian meant being a jerk, can I just tell you, I wouldn't need the Holy Spirit for that. But being a salty Christian means that we add back the God flavor that the world has been looking for since Genesis chapter 3. You ever cook something and you leave something out of it, a key ingredient? One time, one time, uh, I was at someone's house and they wanted to make peach cobbler. Anybody ever had peach cobbler? Come on. Anybody? Come on, raise your hand. All right, if you haven't had peach cobbler, Lord help you and bless you. The best way to eat it is with bluebell ice cream. That's side point. Yeah. I feel the Holy Ghost now. Well, I was at my pastor's house, and his, and his wife was making peach cobbler, and she, she made it, and she served it, and she gave it to us, and I took a bite out of it, and if you've ever been to someone's house, and you, and you eat their food, and it is nasty, how do you react? You, mmm, it's so good, mm, the whole time, like sitting there gagging. It, it's, I don't know what was wrong with it. I couldn't tell what it was, and then, and then somebody else is across the table is eating it, and they give you that look. Like, oh, something's wrong. Something's not right. And a little bit later, she finally took a bite out of it. And she's like, oh, this is awful. Why didn't y'all tell me? We're like, oh, it's good. It's fine. And she says, she says, I forgot to add the sugar to it. And so, listen, this world is looking for something. And, man, I'm telling you, me and you, we've got it. We've got the gospel. We've got the good news of Jesus. And we can't hoard it. And we can't, we can't put a basket over it. We've got to go give it to him. And he says, he says uh, you're the light of the world. Being a light doesn't mean that we wear the T-shirt, right? It doesn't mean that we put the Lifehouse sticker on our car. Although, you should do that. So that way I know if it's you driving slow in the fast lane, I could call you out on Sunday for it. Right? And when I cut you off and honk at you, don't get mad at me. That's your fault. You're the one who should have got out in the other lane. It doesn't mean even that we have the Christian tattoo or, or whatever. It means that we love others even when it hurts. And you know, sometimes love will hurt you, but sometimes love means that we're willing to hurt someone else. And I know that sounds, I know that sounds weird. I know that sounds uh, paradoxical. But trust me, when we talk about love, because real love, real love risks pain for greater reward. 
And so real love means that we love others when it hurts. It means that we choose joy even when circumstances don't work in our favor. It means that we pursue peace regardless of the storms that we find ourselves in. It means that we show kindness to everyone on our path. And let me say this, kindness is not niceness. The Bible doesn't tell us to be nice little boys and girls, right? There's too many people in this world trying to be nice. Sometimes kindness means that I value someone's future over their feelings. It means that we make generosity a way of life, not something that we just do every so often when we are presented with a need. It means that we contend for the faith in a world that is all but forsaken the ways of God. It means that we maintain a gentle heart when eating, when not eating, but when leading others along the way. It means that we control ourselves, choosing what we want most over what we want in the moment, especially during times of trial and pain in chaos. And according to Paul, it means that we bear one another's burdens, which fulfills the law of Christ. Now, you notice I didn't say anything about patience just then because I'm still praying through that one. So maybe by the time I get to it, I'll have something to say about it. Right now, me and the Lord are at odds over it. But you see, when we live this way, our light will shine before others. They will see our good works. They will see our fruit. Jesus makes us a promise in Matthew chapter 5. That, and because of what they see in us, they will give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And people will come to the life-changing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not because you're a good preacher. Not because you're a good singer. Not because you are filled with biblical knowledge and can quote scriptures left and right to them. But because you are planted in the source of life and you are producing fruit. Come on, one more time. I feel like we need to glorify the Lord. And lastly, if I want to live in the Spirit, i got to go where He leads. Um, the Spirit is my source of strength and direction, and then my decision to walk in the Spirit is to go where He goes. But it also means that I don't go where He doesn't go, right? We have to live this Christian life by the Spirit. He gives us the power we need to follow God, to crucify our flesh or to de deny our natural or fleshly desires, right? And I wish I could tell you that today we could just pray a prayer and like, yeah, that would be it. That we could just pray right now, Lord, we, we crucify ourselves, we deny ourselves, fill us with your spirit, lead us by the spirit, and then that be it. But how many of you understand that it's not enough to pray at once? It's not even enough, I don't think, to pray it weekly. Probably not even enough, if you're like me, to pray it daily. It's like every second of every day, with every decision, with every conversation, with every text message, with every thought that I continue to ponder, with every TV show I watch or every podcast I listen to, I give up my life so that I can have the real life that Jesus has for me. You guys with me? I, I willingly choose to decrease so that Jesus can increase. I commit to living differently because I want my life to be used as a vessel by his hands to make a difference in this world, a difference that outlives me, a difference that's bigger than me. And so I go where he goes. I do what he wants me to do. I say what he asks for me to say. I even want to think what he has for me to, to think so that I can walk in the spirit at all times and not fulfill or not gratify the sinful desires of my flesh. And it's not something that just happens once. It's not something that even happens every so often. 
It's a commitment, it's a prayer, and it's a decision to happen every day. With every new challenge that I face, God help me to live less like I would live and to live more like you would have me live. And so, in order to do that, we have to be able to hear his voice, to be sensitive to his spirit, and willing to respond when he prompts us. So we read the word, we go to him in prayer, we enjoy his presence, we go to church, we listen to other people, and, and, and then we have to be adamant because here's the thing about Satan. If he can't destroy you, he will distract you. If, if he can't rob you from what God has for you, he will at least do his very best to keep you from passing on that good news to someone else. And so if he can't destroy, he's going to distract. If he, if, he can't, if he can't take you out, at least maybe he can keep someone else, you from impacting someone else's life. Amen? And so, how many of you would say, with me, I would say this, that to live this way seems rather difficult? Right? Michelle's like, what's <laughs> your Bobby Boucher on over there? Yeah. What if I told you, what if I told you, Kristen, it's actually impossible to live this way? What would you say to that? You know what you should say? You should say, why don't you preach that whole sermon about it then? <laughs> it is impossible to live this way. Are you encouraged? All this stuff that I just told you that you should do, you can't do it. You really can't. But the power of God that lives inside of you can. The, yeah. One of the most important scriptures in all of the Bible, I believe, is Philippians 2.13. And it says this. This is another letter that Paul writes. He says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, through his Holy Spirit, God is working in you, not just giving you the can-do, but even giving you the want to, to live according to his will, to walk in the Spirit. So, so when, when you are faced with situations when you would want to respond a certain way, uh, God says, listen, I'm doing a work in you. And, 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 and so even though this is what your natural flesh would want to do because you've put me on the throne, God's given you the desire. God's given you the ability to look past the point of where you want to burst out in anger or say something you shouldn't say. And God has given you the ability through the power of his Holy Spirit that comes through believing in Jesus to respond in a way that doesn't just not hurt their feelings, but honors the Lord and reveals to them the love of Christ through your response. When you should have been angry, the love of God that you have starts coming through and the world will see your fruit. They will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And it may not happen the first time or the only time, but if you will develop a lifestyle where you are consistently allowing the Holy Spirit to give you the want to and giving you the can do to live according to His will, to be led by the Spirit, you will find through the course of your life that God will begin to use you in ways that you never thought or imagined. When I, yeah, yeah, you can give the Lord praise for that. 
this, this is in no way a brag. I even hesitate to tell the story because it may come across as boastful, but I don't mean it to be that way. But for a couple of years before we moved to Oak Ridge, I was going and getting allergy shots at this little clinic in Athens, Tennessee. And I would go in, and if you've ever gotten allergy shots, you know the, the routine for me. It was you scan a card, and then they stab you in the back of the arm. And I noticed that every time I went, it was the same lady that was working. Her name is Sarah. And so for a while, I would go in, and she would just seem really depressed, really sad, really just kind of down. It was pretty common for me to walk in and for her to just be going through the motions, getting through life. But how many of you know that Jesus didn't call us to live a life of just going through the motions, right? He came so that we'd have life and life abundantly. And so I just made up my mind. I was going to be obnoxiously cheerful every time I walked into that shot room. Obnoxiously happy, obnoxiously joyful, obnoxiously peaceful. And it happened one day, she, she stabbed me in the arm. I turned around and said, thank you so much, Sarah. I sure do appreciate you doing this for me every time I come. And she, she actually said to me, I'll never forget. She said, who are you? And I said, I'm Drew. She said, I know what your name is, but like, what do you do? She's like, you're different. And usually when people tell me that, it's not a compliment, to be honest with you. I said, I, uh, I don't know what you mean. She's like, you are always so nice. You're always so kind. You're always smiling. And the truth of the matter is, that's not how I always am most of the time, right? But I just made up my mind, Lord, help me to be a light to this lady. Because I don't know what's going on in her life, but something's going on in her life. And so the door of conversation began to open up. And I'm there two times a week, right? So I, I get to know Sarah pretty well. I get to know about her kids. I get to know about her family. I get to know what's going on in her life. I tell her, hey, I'm a youth pastor at this church just up the road right here. And then I didn't know what would happen from that, but time continues going on. And one day she, she gives me the shots and she says, you know, and I got this going on with my daughter. And she begins to tell me this story. And she says, you're a youth pastor. What would you do? And, and I said to her, well, I may be a youth pastor, but I'm not a parent of teenager yet. So I don't know. Uh, but I, knew, I know who does know. I, I, the Lord knows. So let's pray. Let's, let's ask the Lord what we should do. So we pray in the office. We get done praying. She says, what church do you go to again? Sweetwater First Assembly. So she says, okay, I'll be there this Sunday. And let's, can I just tell you something? I hear that a lot. I hear that a whole lot. But she showed up. And here I am, six years after I left. She's still there. She's still, she's serving. Her family's there. She got baptized. Her family got saved. It's not a brag. It's not a brag. It's just the simple way that we make up our mind. Hey, listen, this world is hurting. This world needs someone that has something from another world living inside of them who will give it to them. And I want to encourage you today to be men and women who are filled by the Spirit, who are walking in the Spirit, who are the salt of the earth, who are the light of the world. Listen, we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about surrender, right? We're saying, God, listen, I don't know that I can do it, but I know you can do it. God, I don't know, I don't know that I have the power, I don't know that I have the strength, but you've got the power and you've got the strength. And so 
The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I've always been intrigued by how it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the Spirit, not the effort of the Spirit, not even the evidence of the Spirit. And so when I think about it being the fruit of the Spirit, Braxton, I think about how if you have a fruit tree, an apple tree, a pear tree, a plum tree, that tree doesn't... And then an apple pops out, right? That's not how fruit is produced. You guys like that, didn't you? That's not how fruit is produced. How is fruit produced? By that tree doing nothing but being connected to a source of life. And fruit is the natural byproduct of that connectedness. How is the fruit of the Spirit produced? It's not produced because you make up your mind you're going to do better. Come on, we've tried that too many times. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's because we make up our mind. I want to stay connected to the source of life. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be surrendered to whatever God wants for me. I want to get off the throne, and I'm going to get on the cross. And Jesus, this is your chair. This is where you belong. You sit down. You're in charge here. Listen, you'll drop the ball every so often, but when that happens, just pick it back up and you keep on going. That's what grace is for. Grace isn't there for the abuse, but it's there for those moments when we mess up, when we stutter, when we stumble, when we fall. You guys with me still? So today I'm going to read some some statements. I'm going to read some ideas. I'm going to say a few things. And if at any point while I'm saying this, you would say, Pastor, that's my prayer. Or that's what I want for myself. I want to encourage you as I'm, as I'm talking, just go ahead and stand to your feet. And as you stand to your feet, just go ahead and lift your hands and start worshiping. Because this life that we're talking about living, this spirit-filled, this spirit-led life and, and, and bearing the fruit of the spirit, it doesn't come through work. It doesn't come through effort. It comes through surrender. So maybe today you would say, Pastor, I need a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to receive all he has for me. If that's your heart, if that's your prayer, I want to ask you right now to stand up. If you would say, Pastor, I, I'm ready to surrender everything I have, all that I am to the Lord. Jesus, I want to give, I, I give up. I give my life to you. I, I'm tired of being in control. I want you to increase and I want to decrease. If that's you, stand up. If you would say, I want to live according to God's ways, according to God's will, I want to encourage you. Go ahead and stand up. If you would say, Pastor, wherever he leads, that's where I want to go. Wherever the Holy Spirit takes me, that's that's where I want to go. God, I want to make a difference for your kingdom. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom. If that's your prayer, go ahead and stand up. If you would say, I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to be filled by the Spirit. One more time, go ahead and stand up. Come on, let's lift our hands and worship.